this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Outdoors in partnership with Warriors Quest is brought to you by Martin Archery, the number one archery company. Martin Archery combines leading edge modern technology with innovative design to give serious bow hunters and target archers what they demand. Axis Camera Arms for a camera arm that offers a smooth, full range of motion without restriction, lightweight, easy to pack, the name speaks for itself the Axis Revolution. Conquest Sense for more than 15 years, Conquest Sense has been selling premium hunting sense to hunters around the country. Bojax Inc., the best designed archery dampening system. Simmons Optics, everything you need, nothing you don't. Ozonics, undetectable, undeniable. Dry shod waterproof footwear, the most wearable rubber boot. Veteran innovative products, VIP broadheads. The first and only scalpel sharp broadhead with dual spring variable cutting width suspension for superior penetration. Elevated safety systems. Rancho Rio Lindo in Uvalde, Texas. Piney Woods Hunting Lodge in Eufaula, Alabama. The rise of modern waterfowl hunting is tied to the history of the shotgun, which shoots a pattern of round pellets making it easier to hit a moving target. In the 19th century, the seemingly limitless flocks of ducks and geese in the Atlantic and Mississippi flyways of North America were the basis for a thriving commercial waterfowl hunting industry. With the advent of punt guns, Massive boat-mounted shotguns that could fire half a pound of lead shot at a time, hunters could kill dozens of birds with a single blast. Around the start of the 20th century, commercial hunting and loss of habitat due to agriculture led to a decline in duck and goose populations in North America, along with many other species of wildlife. The Lacey Act of 1900, which outlawed the transport of poached game across state lines, and the Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918, which prohibited the possession of migratory birds without permission, such as a hunting license, marked the dawn of a modern conservation movement. In 1934, the urging of editorial cartoonist and conservationist J.N. Ding Darling, the United States government passed the Migratory Bird Hunting Stamp Act, better known as the Federal Duck Stamp Act. This program required hunters to purchase a special stamp in addition to a regular hunting license to hunt migratory waterfowl. This stamp cost $2 in 1934. Revenues from the stamp program provided the majority of funding for the conservation for many decades. The stamp funded the purchase of 4.5 million acres of National Wildlife Refuge land for waterfowl habitat since the program's inception in 1934. The Duck Stamp Act has been described as one of the most successful conservation programs ever devised. So this week, we're excited to be joined by the owner of Bayou Beast Calls of Deville, Louisiana, Mr. Dale P. Bordelon. Did I pronounce that part of Louisiana correct? Deville, yeah, that's good. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> so, Mr. Bordelon, tell me a little bit about yourself and your outdoors background. Well, I'm from a Balls Parish in central Louisiana. And uh, my, dad, my daddy was, uh, I grew up in a haunting household. My grandpa haunted. And uh, that, but they hunted for something to eat. It wasn't a sport back then. And but uh, my daddy, when I was a young man, he he hunted, and we went every weekend in the woods. And we hunted something. We had tents. Then we went to old campus. Then we finally got a place and built a camp. We kind of grew in the last forty years, I guess. But it's all my whole life. Always been around hunting, fishing. It's a big part of my life. And a uh, big part of my boy, I got two boys in their mid-twenties, and, and they like the same thing I like. So I'm very fortunate because we all, we're always doing something outdoors and, and hunting together. But uh, duck hunting's been by far the biggest sport of everything. I deer hunted, I killed some nice deer, but that's not my thing. It's always been duck hunting. And uh, I'm awesome. When I get up right now to go, I, I'm just as excited as I was when I was 20 years old. I still got the 
old, so I'm very fortunate for that. So how old are you? I'm 59 years old. And when when did you start duck hunting? My daddy used to get up in the mornings and I was too little to go. And I go stand by the guy's eater. We had one guy's eater in an old house. And I wanted to go so bad and I just watch him with his old Model 12 and getting up and going in the mornings. And he come back with mallards and all kind of ducks. When I... I knew at that time when, when that's what I wanted to do at five years old. That he set a foundation in me right there. And finally, I got old enough to go, and I just we started going. And we had my brother and my best friend Daddy would take us. But when I got fourteen, my dad had a 1956 Willis Jeep. We would drive all over the back roads and hunt. We hunted every chance we got. We use all those days from school, the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. We use that to hunt, and I'm still doing that. When my boys get off and I get off, we go on in the woods. So I guess my daddy kind of introduced that to me. And uh, his his friend was a real, real, they would sell ducks, and they would sell the feathers. And his wife would put an article in the bulletin. Back then, that was in the 60s, back then, I was legal, and I just, hey, I'll still do it, man, I, I, I'm not going to let it go, it's part of my heritage, and it feels like I'm honoring them old people when I do that, and I make my pillars, and I save all my duck feathers, I've been doing that. <laughs> so tell me the story of your first duck, the first <laughs> duck you ever killed. The first duck I ever killed, my best friend's daddy took us to a spot. It was a beautiful place in the, way in the swamp. They didn't kill nothing. And my, I have a brother, he's 10 years older than me. And I told him, I said, I knew mine, he liked to hunt, but he didn't hunt as much as I did, I guess, or liked it as much. It don't seem like. But he was old enough to drive, so I got him to take me. <laughs> and I, I told him, I said, man, I know a place... When it got done, he said, well, let's go. So we went, and my daddy bought me a high-standard shotgun. That's a gun made off of a Remington 31 before the 870s. It, it, they just made guns for them. And it was an expensive gun. My daddy bought me that for $35, about 1972, I guess. <laughs> That's where guns went then. Mm-hmm. And... uh. So I, I had that gun, and I went with my brother, and I showed him the spot. We had the more cheap, I mean cheap hip boots. And uh, we got in the boat, we parked the boat, we put about a dozen of decals, I guess. And then we parked in the boat in the woods. And it's like a little island, and we walked out into the boat, it was probably about 30 yards. And we just stood behind the boat in the woods. And they had a bunch of ducks, they come, and I had an old fox call. And I called, and they went about 150 yards. They turned, and they started coming back broke against. There was a big salt wind. I'll never forget. And my dad always told me, when the first one goes to land, you shoot them right when they hit the water because they got to take time to hit the water and get up. That's how he explained it to me. But when the first one went to hit the water, it's about six inches. I'll never forget that feeling and that that started that the longest I live. I shot him. When I shot, boy, his head went backwards and he fell. That was seven. It was spoonbills now. That was four. Three came on my side. Well, I killed that one. Then two came on my side. And I made a triple on the wing. <laughs> and my brother killed all four in the wing. And he didn't know too much. He asked me, said, what these? It was a point system. It was worth 10 points. He asked me, said, what they worth? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> but it could have been 20 miles with all bands. I couldn't have been no happy. I was hollering. <laughs> and, and, and two of my ducks was crippled, and I finished them off. And, and hey, we just we picked up and left. <laughs> and and I, I was so happy. And I that's a feeling. It's unbelievable. And, and I still get probably not that excited for my first duck. But I come home, my mama helped me clean them, and she cooked them for me. And, uh, it's just something I'll never forget. This is a plain old simple life. Cheap weathers, folk, duck calls, high standards. 
Nothing, nothing fancy. We was poor, very poor back then we grew up. And, but that was my first uh, triple on the wing. And uh, I was a happy man, I'll tell you what. So when we first started this, uh, <clears throat> we first got the idea to do this uh, podcast series, I originally thought of trying to get in contact with you to, to bring you on as our uh, duck hunter uh, because I've watched a lot of your YouTube videos and a lot of stuff on Facebook and the way you duck hunt varies so greatly from what we see today in the modern era. Um, why do you choose to hunt the way that you do? I grew up in that fashion. My old, I used to go visit old hunters at home and in the nursing homes. Old duck hunters for about 20, over 20 years. They all passed on now. And I knew them before while they was hunting in the 70s. And I stopped at their house and they had one, they had Model 12s. They didn't have no fancy gun. That was a good gun, but Winchester, that's all they had back then, your name brands. Most of the people had World War II army jackets. I grew up hunting out of, with that on. They didn't have no fancy clothes, and most of these people was poor. They sold ducks. But they had, most of them had one duck call. I knew a man who had two or three. He gave me a pair of an old-time duck calls, wooden calls that he bought in Lake Charles. Uh, he gave me his duck calls, but he had one. It was a false. One, my, another one of my old friends, he died. He was very old. He had one call. His whole life was a oaks. From when he was 17 years old to when he died, he was eight, almost 90. He had one call. Now, he bought some reeds. But what I'm trying to answer your question, I have a cane, I have several cane calls. I love to go hunt with one call like they did. That's all you need. That's all a man really needs. I'm going to be honest with you. They would take some reeds and follow that reed down and work on that call like it was a car. They, um, they, was work. they had it tuned to how they blew it. And, and they would li- I would listen to them blow and they didn't buy no fancy stuff. There was nothing fancy back then. They used what they grew up in mostly. And these men, I know they killed hundreds of ducks a hunt in the heyday and sold them in New Orleans. Just killed a lot of ducks. They just knew how to do it. They knew how to call. I've hunted with one of those old market hunters in the 80s. And he could blow a false call like you ain't never saw before. And it, man. And they just knew how to do it back then. They didn't need all it. So I kind of grew up with them. And I'm trying to... My goal is I, I make duck calls and sell duck calls. And I'll hunt with different calls. But a lot of times I have my handmade decoys and I have an old cane call. It's, it's just it's my tradition and my heritage. That's how I'm hunting to keep it going, and it, it just means a lot to me. I've had a bunch of these old people, not just one or two. Everybody in my area hunted like that. They didn't have a lot of duck calls. There's old wood calls, but they knew how to blow them. They played with them enough, to, and they was very efficient with them. Most of them had uh, World War II jackets, the ones I knew. They didn't have no fancy clothes, blue jean pants with some demo white uh, long johns, old cheap rubber boots, wooden pirogues. That's all That's all they had, and that's all I, I witnessed growing up. Hey, Dale, this is Bill. I'm Will's dad. It's funny, you you grew up duck hunting with your dad, and I grew up duck hunting with my boys because I taught them how to deer hunt, and they taught me how to duck hunt. <laughs> <So> <laughs> well. it's, it's just the opposite, and, it, and you're right. I know the first time we that I went with Jordan, um, him and I went, that, that was it, I got hooked right off the bat, and then I'm 56 years old, but I know they'd yeah. been with me in the woods since they were four and five years old i can remember when will shot his first buck and jordan shot his first well will actually shot a doe first and then he shot a buck and then jordan um there just ain't nothing like it taking kids in the woods and teaching kids how to hunt and then i'm sure they enjoyed teaching me how to duck hunt i'm sure they did they did <laughs> i hunt with, with my boy like the tuc is i hunt with one of my boys and we landed out 
I got a hula link. He, he found a good spot. And I was on with my old 97, made in 1915. I, I love to hold them old guns. And uh, we, there's nothing like killing ducks with your kids, I want to tell you. Or your daddy. Yep. Me and my daddy hunted. And to watch him kill birds at an old age, done my heart a lot of good. <laughs> Same with your kid. There's nothing, and as far as I'm concerned, more satisfying than and and enjoying the hunt with your family, oh, yeah. friends, but mostly your kids. It's just something special. You you definitely got that right, Dale. I took my four year old son out this year on a moorhen hunt in the early season, and he he got to shoot a couple more hens, and he was so proud of himself, but he wasn't near as proud of himself as I was proud of him. <laughs> exactly, I know the feeling. <laughs> I do think, I, I think a huge part of, of hunting is, is the camaraderie. I, th- I think I actually enjoy the camaraderie just as much as I enjoy, or probably more than I enjoy the actual harvest. Oh, absolutely. Oh, well, that's just that's the ex- that heart, the killing just extra. It's always and, nice and to bring it, home something to eat. Uh, it just adds to the. The icing on the cake, but it's not necessary. If you can kill two, three, four, that's fine to me. It's just a little, and it, it's just piling them old pirog and hunting old decoys. That, that that itself is the hunt, really. My age, that, the older I get, the more I enjoy those little things. So, I would say one of the biggest changes you probably saw over your duck hunting career was the switch from from being able to shoot lead to having to shoot non toxic like steel. <laughs> Uh, but what are some of the other changes in technology you've seen over your years on the water? Well, I'll tell you what. We talk about this often. When I was a young man in the 70s, uh, they didn't have, and I'm not saying I'm old, but <laughs> everybody around here had wooden P-Rogues. They didn't have those fiberglass boats. They didn't have road devils. We went to, we'd go to Catahoula, and you couldn't get out that main channel the air boats was prohibited. They had air boats. You can't go in there with an air boat. And me and my, you have to go with a, a boat and a motor. Like an old six, seven horsepower. That's all we had back then, the motor. It was a 14 foot boat. We would bring our P-Rogues, three P-Rogues, and just pull them. Where the grass was, and we get in the grass, in our P-Rogue and paddle, and we would jump shoot. And I can remember seeing the b- big bunch of the pintails back then that had the other 10-point duck. You wouldn't hear no mud boats, road devils, or nothing. It was just a lot, just quietness. All you hear was the grass, that old wild millet, that old sprangle top, passing on the edge of your pirook, and just a duck. We would jump shooting. <laughs> it was a very, very peaceful hunt, and we killed a lot of ducks. But right now, you go to the same place. It's just a tremendous amount of mud motors and goat devils. I hunted there a lot. Uh, well, last year we did, but you ever full out and went in a blind? If that wasn't somebody shooting, there was somebody was running a boat all day long. And yes, you can't hardly decoy a duck doing that. And we killed, I think, gnawing ducks. But you had to shoot them the first pile. You can't work birds like that. So I've seen it, and they say that's not the hunters hunting. I don't understand that. But Catahoula got so many young people, man. And everybody has a mud boat and one of those gold devils. And I'm not knocking it. I've got two of them Well, I go hunting. It's just a lot of pressure on these lakes. We was talking about this yesterday. We used to hunt those big tournament blinds. We, we used to build those big blinds in the 70s, 80s, them in the 60s. In the middle of the lake or wherever, you, you pull your boat in, you get out, you hunt, you got a shooting guy, a, a deck. I, I built one in the 80s, and we killed a lot of ducks. But in the early 90s or the mid 90s, it's hard to kill ducks. I really believe these ducks got so much pressure. We, I, I ended up burning that blowing, and I built me a floating blowing, and I stuck it in the buttonwoods, and I, I changed my brushing habit to match the natural surroundings, and we killed a lot more ducks. I think those ducks got more pressure, they more educated, and you got to do a little extra to hide, to 
to, to be able to kill ducks. It, with all these uh, people hunting and, and these boats and all. But uh, I've seen a lot of difference in that. I've seen a lot of difference in clothes. N- nobody had good clothes back then, and it wasn't an issue. People may do what they had, I did that. We used to hunt at a place called Red River Bay. We had a camp there for seven years. I'd put my old pirogue in and paddle all day long, jump shooting in the buttwoods. And then we'd go get in a blonde in the evening. And we didn't have good clothes. We, we never complained, though. I guess we were young. When you're young, like that doesn't bother you. But just uh, things change now. Dale, I can remember going to the old Army Navy surplus store and buying hunting hunting gear. Just the, the old Army that was camo. Dogs Academy Sports. In the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Son, I still got camo that I had 30 years ago. What are you talking about, <laughs> hand-me-downs? I still have hand-me-downs at Disney. If you, if you were yeah. big enough, you could wear some of mine. <laughs> so, that's what it's all about, handing it down. When I went to high school in the 70s, all my friends wore them old army jackets in the winter. I remember that on the school grounds, we all wore that. And we hunted with them, and we went out with them. Well, I can but, promise you that Will had enough, had wore enough of that to keep him warm at times. Whenever it got cold enough, it was layers, buddy. Put it on. Same with Jordan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We used to have one of those old monkey suits. Just the, the jumpsuit that went over everything you had on. I still have two of mine. They're about 30 years old hanging in the closet. <laughs> I'm scared to put it on. I'm scared all that instant that foam's going to come out on. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem ain't putting it on. It's getting it off quick enough when you need to. <laughs> That's right. So, Dale, do you think all these technological advancements we've had in the in the waterfowl industry, I mean, you talked about the Go Devil Motors and you you name it with the motors these days and you know you've got these decoys that try to mimic the bird down to the single last feather and all these different shots and chokes and all this other great stuff do you think that stuff has helped the sport in any way well i think when steel shot came out you would have you you had to have a choke to shoot it and you're gone and We've shot everything we could to get the best pattern. You have to have a choke for steel, in my opinion. Not in lead, though. I don't think it made any difference. We shot food. I got more guns. i tell you what, I shot more guns this year and last year. We did uh, ball shells. That thing just like lead in the 70s, man. That we, I don't have no chokes. The business. As much as my boy and my friend was killing with the more guns. But, uh, You're probably a better shot, is why. Well, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I shot very good with it. But, uh, I think, everything's about money, and y'all know that. Well, oh, yeah. Here comes the steel. People start needing chokes. So they got all kind of companies come out. They make chokes, because they're making money. And uh, then they, go, they got several of them duck, them flapping duck swimmers. Yeah, if they get a good one, people buy it, they make money, they, and they do good. It's a gimmick. It works. I prefer to go back to outlaw all them motors, my personal self, and have to powder where you want to go, like I grew up doing. I would like to see that. People might get mad at me saying that, but it's a lot quieter. It's a lot nice. Last year, me and my best friend, we instead of riding a four wheeler, we drove a truck and, and took a long walk in the woods with the old head. We used to do that in the seventies. I carried decoys, he carried it, in it, but we didn't have no three wheelers or nothing then. People hunted on horses, and in the mid seventies, and, and that's how we hunted. And we did that last year just for and really enjoyed it. It was quiet. It was a nice walk, and you're not scaring everything out. Yeah, there's that now, man. They got to put them. Uh, Side by side, they got everything you want. It, it, it's a lot of money in the hunting industry compared to when I grew up, and it's all about making a dollar. 
First of all, will it keep you warm? I'm sure it will, but it's going to cost a lot, and that's that's what you're paying for, and people pay for that. Uh, you pay for comfort, that's for sure. And you see a lot of the technologies, you know, you talked about your spinning wing decoys and this one that paddles its feet and vibrates and all that relies on batteries. When the batteries die, you know, it goes back to actually being able to know how to hunt. Uh, that's and, right. You know, batteries don't last very long, especially when that decoy's out there spinning its wings the entire time. They've got a very limited span of runtime on them and then, you know, you get into the spending more money every single time to replace those batteries. Yeah. It don't take I, no batteries I, to put I on three t-shirts. <laughs> my neighbor has it, my brother has it. I have to use it to stay in comfort if I want to kill something, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I don't like to use it, to be honest with you. I wish it was, I didn't have to use it. We got a pool string that we use a lot on, on the calm days. That worked pretty good. So, but there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of stuff, I mean, you can spend a lot of money. I keep it old school, though. Uh, I, I got about 30 handmade decoys that I carve, and I hunt with them a lot. I have a big blonde, I, I put my spread of decoys, but when I go in the field, in the woods, my own personal self, I bring my handmade decoys and then buy them calls. That's the way I like to hunt. So I, I got a, a dug out P-Rog. I hunt out of it all the time when the duck season and my big blonde. What technological creature comforts, if any, do you enjoy? Comforts? Yeah. What what's got, what's the technology you have embraced, I should say? Huh. Well, for one, I know something you have embraced is is the bismuth and the ball shot shells, which is allowing you to shoot your older shotguns again. Well, safely. Yeah, I got I got when my I use a Winchester twelve hundred. That was my brother's gun. That too, my daddy bought for thirty five bucks about nineteen seventy. They stole my gun at my work, my high standard. And my brother didn't hunt a lot, my other, so I, I hunted with that gun my entire you. My dad didn't buy me another gun. I used my brother's gun, and then I bought me an 870 as I got older. And then I bought me another 870, and I, I shot that gun 27 years straight whenever I shoot nothing else. I won't shoot nothing else, but when that, I had all these old guns now, my Model 12, the I got three hammer guns made in 1915, 1906, and 1908. When that, I started shooting those guns, I tried it with that boss. I tried it with some bismuth. I was very, and I seen, man, I'm having so much fun. I put my 870 aside, and now I grabbed that old Winchester 1200. I, I hadn't shot that gun, and I can't tell you the last time. But me and my boy went this year, and we killed each and every ducks, and that's the gun I was using. It just brought back so many memories and gave me just a joy. Those ball shells, Bismic ball shells, they give you something to shoot. And I've noticed on Facebook, I post a bunch of pictures. I've seen that a tremendous amount of people start to go that route with their old guns. It's like it's rejuvenating the sport again, and I like to see that. You don't have to have the more expensive shotguns. You don't have to have a $1,500 gun. I'm not knocking them. Every gun, every duck calls as good as a man behind it. That's how I'm going to put it. And, uh, but technology, the, the shells you can shoot now, it costs a little more, but it, it's, it, it just made duck hunt so much more fun for me. And uh, I have a lot of memories. I'm, I'm very, very uh, old-fashioned, very, very sentimental. And it means a lot hunting with them old guns that I grew up with again and killing ducks and then with my children. So I'm going to spend $30 a box of shells to have that pleasure. That's the only thing I like to do, so it's worth it every bit of it to me. I was I was actually given the pleasure of, of being able to... Uh restore a, a Winchester Model 1200 for a friend of mine who had had it passed on to him from his his grandfather passed it to his dad and his dad passed it to him and 
uh, by the time he got a hold of it, it was it was pretty tore up. And I said, man, I said, if you'll just give me the pleasure and buy me the supplies I need, I said, I would love to restore this gun for you. And I took the took the bluing off of it and, and, and re-blued it and then uh, restored the stock back to its original finish. And instead of doing a, it had like a lacquer coating on it before, I, I, I recoated it with uh, tongue oil so it was a little more water resistant and that was just an absolutely beautiful shotgun when I was done with it and he was able to take it home to his grandfather and show him and he said man it, it looks better than the day I brought it home from the store and that brought me a lot of joy to be able to do that for him sure I bet it did that's a good thing to do and uh, I did my old uh, 87 uh, winch uh, Remington 870 like that and it put some uh, tongue oil on it, I sanded it down, and I got a little corn cob pour on it, and boy, it just, it's a dull Pacino look, it just brought the beauty out, I, I love the looks of them old guns, so but, they, uh, them old guns, are, them old guns are getting the job done, I'm going to tell you what, oh absolutely, they got the job done when it, when it meant a whole lot more than just doing it for sport, you're doing right, That's, but I'm going to tell you something, the old man I talked to, you look at a gun from 1915, that gun's not worn out at all. They, they're a gun you... Uh, uh, they don't have no shells. To, they don't have no money to buy shells to shoot them. <laughs> they, they, when they shot ducks, they, they shot a bunch to kill 10, 15 in a bunch, not one. And, uh, I, I know an old friend of mine, he passed away. He'd be over 100 now. He told me when he was nine years old, his daddy took him on and got a single shot. And they got a lake close to my house. It was known for a lot of ducks in the heyday. But uh, they had a bunch of miles that lit. And he shot and he killed one. And his daddy walked over and knocked him in the head. And he said, son, don't you ever do that again. He said, what do you mean? He said, you get three or four in a shot. Don't you waste a shot. <laughs> from killing you know five six ducks per shell to killing to, to spending five or six shells to kill one duck <laughs> that's right yeah it's, it's a, a lot of this this talk about when you talk about the lake that that you hunt where it's got all the mud boats and stuff just makes me think of, we got a marsh near our house it's called uh, the emerald it's a emerald marsh and the state actually took like an old uh, buck farm and flooded it but it's just like, I mean, you get out there early in the morning and all you hear until sunrise is mud motors all day. And then by the time, I mean, it ain't even got to get shooting light. People start shooting. And they just, I mean, they're blasting at anything and everything that passes by. Yeah. It, uh, back then in Catahoula, them ducks had a place to roost. They didn't have those boats. Now... I don't see how they kill anything over there with all that running around and doing. It's, you know, it runs a while. And South Louisiana, the marshes, it's like that all over. I think they should put some kind of a cap on that, but a restriction. But there again, you got people, you know, it's all money thing. And I don't think that'll ever happen, politics and all. But that would be a good thing. People would kill more ducks, I believe. People don't want to work for that ducks no more. No. Well, they you want know, to jump in a boat, a young man, and being as blind as five minutes with no wet, don't and don't walk in that mud and all, and, and they want it easy. I, I, I'm talking from experience because I know some kids like that. And that's what they want. It's no but, different than having a primitive weapon season. They ought to have a primitive duck season where you can't use a motor, where you've got to 
you've got to do under hand power or under a certain horsepower for you know maybe the first couple weeks of a of duck season. Uh, that's not a bad thing. Um, I think so, but I'm gonna tell you something. That's a political issue. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And most people hunt with these caps, largest clubs. They want the money. Yep. And uh, everything's about money. And, and I don't think you get your senators involved. They would that never fly over. Uh, but you're right. I, I would vote that way. You're darn right. Give everybody a chance. But get it over. Get it back for some time of the season. I mean, shut it down a little bit. Yeah, I, I can't knock those boats too much. I got a, I got a <laughs> big souped-up gator tracks myself. But uh, Oh, you yeah, hear I'm, him I'm, coming. That's right. I'm not talking nothing against him. Uh, yeah. I, got, I got a couple. They're nice. I use them all the time, but... It's just everybody has that nowadays, and it makes it just a little bit more tough. Absolutely. No, I, I, I love the sound of, of uh, you know, a more peaceful, being able to get out to the blind quietly and not have to hear all those other people. And, well, you know, yeah. you talk of Jordan talks about his boat, and if anybody's listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you know you're only going to hear Jordan's boat. Uh, not as often because <laughs> it just it's got to be running for it to for you to be able to hear it going across the water. <laughs> I try to tell him, Dale, when you buy a souped-up motor, it's just like buying a, mo- a motorcycle. You're gonna all you're gonna do is work on it. You buy a dirt bike, yeah. all you're gonna do is work on it. You're gonna tear it up and work on it. Tear it up and work on it. <laughs> you like that? Cause I experienced that deal with them mud bikes. Oh yeah. <laughs> podcast and you said you had some stories to tell some some of your own and some of uh duck hunters that preceded you and i we, we would love to hear them well i had a whole uh i had an old friend i used to go visit and uh i have this i'm working on a little project from a parish a little book I'm, and i got a long ways to go but i got stories from all these old people now I used to go visit them, some in a nursing home. And, you know, they had their right mind and all. And uh, the stories were so fascinating, the details. And nobody cares about that. So I started writing them down and finding all the old people I could. And I have their stories written down. Now, I'm not finished. I don't have time to go visit everyone. I got a job, a regular job. When I come home, I make duck calls till dark. I don't really have much time to go like I want to go, but I'm going to put an ad in the paper and see if I can get them to send me a story. And it'll get out in my power. That's what I plan to do. But I had an old friend I used to go visit. He went with his daddy bought a gun. It was an 1897 Winchester. And he went to an old store. This was 1932. He went in the store, and he asked that man, his daddy asked that man. He had a gun on the wall. He said, his name was Guy Prevo that owned that store. He said, Mr. Prevo, you know, they all spoke French back then. And uh, he, he said, how much you want for that shotgun? It was brand new. He said, $26. And uh, he's, the, the old man went, God dang. I don't have that kind of money. So let me back up. The old man I'm talking about was 12 years old then, in 1932. 
him and his daughter, his name is Simon. Simon Poncho. So he said, I tell you, the store owner said, I tell you what I do, Simon. I'm going to give you that gun to hunt with, and you bring me mileage in return. He said, that's a deal. So he go in and hunt, and he killed a bunch of mileage with his daddy. And, the, and Mr. Prevo had a glass case in the front of his store. He would sell Simon's ducks. He put a block of ice. That's all they had back then. You could sell ducks back then. Nobody did you nothing. So Simon paid that gun off in a year, and Mr. Prevo was making money on him with that gun he sold him with the ducks. Every time Simon would go in there, he'd, see it, he'd put his models in that showcase for the public to borrow him. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Simon started killing ducks when he got older. They didn't have, he called, they didn't have no freighter dyes back then. They would put them in the well. They'd last four or five days. It was cool down there in the water. That well then. They'd go kill a bunch of miles and lower, clean them and put them in the well. They'd plug ducks all night long. And then when they get a lot, they go to New Orleans. His, his, brother, his brother-in-law had a, a hardware store. He'd back up against the door. He had a truck of loaded ducks. And he opened it. He'd sell them like watermelons. <laughs> sell every one of them back then. And he, they, they, he did that a lot. And, uh, but I just got a bunch of old stories, stories from him, and I'm going to put that in that, uh, that old, that book I'm working on. One night they killed 40 something mileage with a full moon at midnight. <laughs> the ducks, they would go hunting, there was no ducks, but you could see the feathers. So they went at dark, and they, it was a moon night. They waited and waited, and all of a sudden they started coming. And I mean, all at once. They shot ducks for one hour, and the, and he heard the train would pass through Hesmond. That's my hometown. This was 1950. They would pass through Hesmond because they'd blow the horn coming through town at midnight, every night. You could hear the train blowing the horn while he's killing those ducks. You know, <laughs> long way. That, and that's how he knew it was around midnight. But for about an hour, they, they picked up 40-something, 43, 44, all mileage. So what is that? Uh, I, I got a bunch of stories from the old people, man. Uh, I, I know a old friend of mine, him and his boy went Christmas Eve morning. They, they got in that ring at 10 o'clock. It was a big, big, big bluebird cold front. For noon, two hours later, they had 80 miles. And they killed that in three punches. Some big bunches would like, and just let them pile up. That's how they hunted back then. That old man taught me a lot how to shoot ducks, how to set your decoys and all. He sold ducks in New Orleans for 40 years to a restaurant. Never got caught. <laughs> <laughs> he died at 101 about a year and a half ago. <laughs> and he died with his right mind, and I got a bunch of stories from him. But, uh, there again, no fancy guns, no fancy clothes, no <laughs> fancy calls. Just, just know how to do it. And do what works. I'm gonna tell you this story, and I'm not saying nothing special, but this caught my heart. The other day we went hunting in Calahula, and they had some somebody was hollering. Me and my boy went over there. We left it out at one hour. We had twelve kills. And I'm not saying nothing against nobody, but this just crossed my mind. I had my old cane call. My boy had my other call that I made. He hunts at my calls that buy you beef. So we finished the hunt and we went out. They, they had his bike went broke, but they was coming. They was they was going back to the truck. He had about six duck calls, those expensive calls, on his neck. My boy took the other one to the truck. I just waited and stayed there with him. And uh, we got to talking. They was, I asked him how old he was. He said he was 20 years old. There was all some young boys. They had all those expensive gadgets. And they had killed four ducks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not trying. And I was thinking, I don't know 
know if I even should say this. I'm not trying to compare myself to nobody, but I was thinking, boy, you don't need all that to myself, but it's a, it's a, it's a different era now. That's how I like them old people I'm telling you about. They, they had one call and, uh, but that's, that's how, that's a generation. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not, but it just takes a little knowledge is what it takes is what I'm getting at. A little know-how, a little knowledge. You got to find some ducks first, then you could, you know, work on them. But one of my old friends, he, another old friend, he carved his own decors, geese decors, and haunted he used to catch geese. He gave me his last decoy before he died. I have it right here. It made out of soccer, the snow goose. You know, I have it right here in my shop. I asked him, I said, those geese never figured out your de- your de- you know, they're not the best decoys made. They're not bad, but he told me one time he had a bunch landing there. They, they walked in those decoys in and out for two and a half hours. Never, never picked up. It was a fake. <laughs> and he told me, and we, we was talking. I did. I'm, I'm, well, I'm telling you, somebody from experience, they grew up doing this. And that old man told me right there. He said, "You see all them catalogs with all them decors." That he said, "That's nothing but a money maker. You don't need nothing, none of that." He said, "Look, this old goose. He killed all kind of geese with it, and uh, he had a duck call." When he was 17 years old, he rode to town five miles on a horse. That call cost a dollar something. It was a oats, P.S. oats. He went to bike, but it cost too much. He went back home. And his sister asked him. His name was False. False, you didn't buy your call? No. It cost too much. She said, you work hard. You got money, you work for, why don't you go buy yourself some? So he got back on his horse. Now, he was 17 years old. He bought that call, bought it home. And I used to go visit him. He died at 89 years old. He still had that call. That's the only call he ever used. <laughs> and all he did, he bought about three or four different reeds. And he followed his reeds on, I'm telling you. And But that's how those old people did. They, You know, they... They didn't go by they was poor. They didn't have, they grew up poor and it stayed on them, you know, from the depression. And it stayed, once you grow up like this, I guess you're going to stay like that the rest of your life. They're very conservative people, I mean. But I learned a lot from these old people with them old calls. Any call can kill a duck, it's how you use it. So what is your most memorable story of your own over your years duck hunting oh i can't even begin to tell you (laughs) (laughs) i have i guess one hunt that stands out and i made some with my daddy you know uh, my my boys uh but one hunt it's, it's not a big hunt but one day i went and i had a fella come with a camera he wanted to come film. I put out all my homemade, I got 30 decors, Cypress Root and Tupelo decors. All and I hunted with more dug out P-Root that I made myself out of a Cypress log and my cane calls. And in one hour, we killed 24 ducks. That, that's going to stick with me forever. My boss was with me. And my be- I got to shred that with him. They got to hunt over homemade decoys, dugouts, and we killed 24 ducks. And in that one hunt, there's a bunch of ducks that we all worked. And they come, some lit, some was hubbing. We killed 11 of the bunch on one discharge. That was very, I'll never forget that. But I have so many, but that one stands out. I got a big picture of that in my shop of us with that hunt. That sounds like quite the memorable hunt. Yeah, with more decoys, and I'm gonna pass that down to them. I got more. I got an old board in my rock, but a, a foot under my wall on both sides. All my decoys is in my shop, lined up. When somebody comes here, bar call or 
they get to see all that, and I just take them down when I want to go hunt with them, put them back up, I'm finished. Now, do your sons hunt a lot of the same way you do? Do what? I said, do your sons hunt a lot of the same way you do? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got a young boy, I tell you what, he, <laughs> he probably better than I was. He, he He's a good hunter. My oldest boy, he's good, but he don't go after him like that. That young one, man, he go find some dope. He's a good hunter. <laughs> He's always coming back with something. But uh, I'm, I did like that when I was young. We killed something. I, uh, I never belonged to a club. We always hunt. We had enough places to hunt. But you got to you gotta work. To, you know, I've always been looking for ducks, find where they at, and piling all over. And we always managed to kill ducks. He's like that, though. He, he, he's a go-getter, and I'm very glad. Like his little teal season, he found that spot. And it was a very productive spot, and we had uh, some good hunts. But he, he looked for that. He goes scouting and all. He's, he's a he's a he's a very good little hunter. But I showed him a lot, though. Them old people taught me a lot, and I passed that down to them. I'm always preaching to them. And my little boy uses one call, both of them. They don't have all them calls. He blows one call, and I I got a ton of calls right here. I, I, he can take any one. He said, you don't need all that. And that's how I raised him. He's right. And we, all, and we kill, you know, we do good with it. But uh, I got some little cane calls I make with the hard rubber reeds. I'm going to blow one for you in the phone. You want? Yeah, let's hear it. This is a bamboo call. Now it's got a hard rubber reed. I filed down with a file like the old market hunters 100 years ago. So it may not sound like a, a hard dollar call you bar, but you know, because it's all by hand. But I'm gonna give you the little room on it. I was gonna say if it if it wouldn't kill a duck if it wouldn't kill a duck you know those the way they made those calls back then we wouldn't have such things as the the duck stamp and the migratory bird treaty it, it, and had, it had me looking up for ducks that's right but I make a bunch of those calls I got a bunch a lot of orders to make but it, it takes about four hours to make a call it's all behind I go cut my bamboo behind I I, I age it. You gotta let it age several couple of months, depending how you cut it up, and uh, it's a process. But that's how they done it back then, and, and I'm I'm just doing like I used to go visit these call makers, and they all gone, and, and I pick up all I can from them, and I put it into what I'm doing. It's got a little bit of everything to pass the heritage down. I have to swing over to your website and get myself a color too. Yeah, tell us, tell us, tell everybody where they can tell us about Bayou Beast calls and where they can find you and get on your waiting list. Well, all I have, I don't, I'm not on. Uh, I do some stuff on YouTube, but uh, I'm not on the internet. You can go to Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Bayou Beast Calls, and you order there. Then I, you go to my message, and you will be talking with me. Then you just order. I have PayPal and. But you can see, I have, you go to my videos. I have all those calls. Now I got a bunch of videos when I'm making calls, but you can see how they gumble. I got a gumble making a perfect end. And you get to see a sound file on them. And uh, just message me. I got, a duck, I got a duck call called that perfect end. When I made it, I didn't name it. I took my little nephew. There's a, there were 14 ducks that hit about 200 yards. I thought it was great ducks, and I heard a hen in the boat, a mallard. I said, that's a mallard. So I called. She called back. I bet you this went on for 30, 40 minutes. That duck swam from 200 yards. She swam. I had her swim in my decoys <laughs> with that duck call. I still got that call right here. 
I told my nephew, I said, you know what? I'm going to name this called the perfect hen. I would say it's accurately named. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the name of that little call, and I use that all the time. So what kind of calls do you make for different did, species of ducks? What I, I did, uh, I made bamboo calls years ago. I never sold none. People wanted to buy them. I, I couldn't make them then. I didn't want to make them. I didn't have time. Now I'm old in my life. So what I did a few years ago, I took my bamboo calls. I found a fella that molds a molding company. And I went back and forth four or five times and getting things straight. He molded out my personal bamboo calls. So every call I sell is a, is, is a bamboo call that's molded out. It's polycarbohydrate material. It, it, it's a ducky call. It, it sounds real good. Uh, so what I do, I order like 100 200 at a time. And that's what I'm selling. Now, if you want a handmade cane call, I'm selling those too, but I have about a year and a half, two-year waiting list on those because it takes so long, and I don't. it's, it's very time-consuming. But I can, I'll can. sell my calls $30 a call. It's, it's my bamboo call moved it out, and it's, it, it, it's a, it sounds very ducking. I'm going to tune everything myself to make sure... And that's what we hunt with my bunch. I think I think I'm very particular in how it sounds. I think it's very tough, but everybody blows different, you know. Very easy to blow. Don't take much air. You don't have to hum and grunt. Uh, my boy does that. So you don't. What are you doing all that for? All you got to do is blow normal. <laughs> very, very easy to blow. <laughs> I'm a blow. Here's a little. Uh, Gumbo maker. <laughs> I gotta tune it up a little bit. There's one sitting on the shelf right here. But it's very, they, when they leave here, they're gonna be tuned good to hunt with. Well, that, that's pretty awesome. I, I really appreciate you giving us some of those uh, sound samples for us there. That's, those are, that's, they sound great. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, so we're kind of coming towards the end here, and at the end of every week, we uh, we like to do what we call the Under Pressure Outdoors Tip of the Week. And the Under Pressure Outdoors Tip of the Week is brought to you by the Ratchet Jacket. And the Ratchet Jacket is a neoprene cover that goes over your ratchet strap. You can stick it in the corners of your load, or you can put it over the metal part of your racket, ratchet jacket to keep it from scratching up your ATV or your uh, mother-in-law's china cabinet, whatever you've got to do to protect the stuff. But every week, during Under Pressure Outdoors Tip of the Week, we'd like to give a, a, a tip of the week to our listeners. Uh, this, so what, what have you got for us this week, Dale? For a tip of the week? Yeah. Uh, I would say, you talking about the duck hunting? Sure. Or just well, hunting in general. What comes to my mind at my age, it, it, I mean, there's so many tips for duck hunting, but just treat everybody like you want to be treated. Be good to people and do, do the right thing, and it all come back around. That's that's how I kind of live my life. <laughs> it's a good way to live it. Respect people. Do what's right. Even though if they do wrong, you do what, what you think is right. You'd be a happy person. <laughs> That's all. Best I can put it. So I would, I would say for my tip of the week is one thing we've kind of we keep coming back to over this, or we're going to keep coming back to over this series is that uh, technology is only going to get you so far. And sitting down and and learning from the mentors before you of uh, what it truly takes to be an outdoorsman and how to find the ducks, how to find the deer, how to read the woods, the water, you name it, uh, really needs to be the basis of your of, of your outdoors expertise in general. Um, because, you know, like we said earlier, uh, a lot of that technology runs on batteries and batteries are only good for so long and then you're, you're left to your own devices at that point. 
So go back to your roots and, and really learn the basics and the fundamentals of whatever outdoor activity you've chosen and, and before you try and invest everything into the technology. That would be a good one, yeah, very much. I think uh, what I'd have to say for my outdoors tip of the week, I've, I've kind of, I already knew this, but I, we talk about it a lot throughout this podcast. Seems it doesn't, you don't need all that uh, that expensive stuff to, you know, like he, like Dale said, they uh, they hunted out of in, in army jackets, and I mean, you don't you don't need to have to have all that Sitka gear, and you know, if you're just getting into it, it doesn't. You can go to Al's Army Navy and get yourself some camo and uh, just get whatever you can get to get yourself out there. What do you got, Dad? Listen to others. Don't 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 necessarily try to pick it all up reading magazines and articles. Yeah, you can get some good things from there, but uh, like Dale, you know, listen listen to some old stories that people tell, um, and uh, take it to heart and put it to use. Don't try to don't try to think you're going to read everything and know everything about hunting. And if you're telling stories, tell the story. Don't don't add to it and don't don't blow it out just to make it seem more exciting. If you tell the real story, that's what people want to hear anyway. Dale, I really appreciate you joining this week and join us this week. And it's been a, a lot of fun talking to you and hearing some of your old stories and the way it, it used to be done, the way you're still hunting ducks today. Uh, uh, thank you for joining us. Well, I appreciate you having me and to, to let me share a little bit of what I know and my experience. And, and anytime you got the subject of duck hunting, I love it, man. That's that's what I live for. You make sure to let us know when you get that book published, and we'll buy a few copies of it. Yeah, I got a ways to go, I, but I, I, I got a hell of a start, man. I got some good stories in that from the old times. But uh, I've just been sitting on it. I'm gonna. I, I need to get with it and, and get it going before I get too old. Well, until next week, make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast. You leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and push us further up in there so that more people get to hear these awesome stories from great men like Dale about hunting and fishing in the outdoors. And you'll get that little piece of advice that you're not going to get anywhere else here. So. Uh, until next week, you guys have a great night.